Hope everybody's doing good this week. I know for some people it's been a long week, and uh, some people it's been, we just had different weeks, and we're all coming from different places, and I'm always, I'm always kind of blown away um, how many different weeks come in here in one day. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, there are some people that their weeks have been like stellar, and, and uh, they're coming in with smiles on their face, and there's others that are coming in from weeks that have been difficult, and uh, the amazing thing about it is, is that we all serve the same God, amen? I mean, we serve a God that knows our week, and actually, that's what we're going to be talking about today is this amazing God that, uh, that knows our week. What we've been talking about, just real quickly, in case you're someone that hasn't been around us, we've been just talking about this whole idea of the resurrection life. That when I begin to grasp it, it radically changes everything about me. And in Jesus in Matthew 6, he talks about people and how the interesting thing is, is that when we pursue people, pleasing uh, people and not pleasing God, that there's such a temporary nature to that. Um, pleasing people is such this, this here today, gone tomorrow. One day they like you, one day they don't. And Jesus says, don't pour your life into pleasing people. Please God. He's your father. He, he loves you, and, and, uh, and it's different. It's not just a fleeting relationship. It's an ongoing, eternal relationship. And then he talks about things and, and the way we have things and, and, and that these things also are temporary. Our houses, our cars, our, our, our portfolios, our, our stuff, it's temporary. And I was reading a, a story this week. Well, not a story. It was a, a biography about a guy named uh, John Wesley, and he was a... Uh, uh, an evangelist during the 1700s, and he's, he's in his church, and he's preaching away, and in runs this guy, and he flies open the doors, and, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, your house is burning down. Your house is burning down. And from the front, John Wesley looks at him, and he goes, I don't have a house. He goes, no, 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 your house, the place where you live, it's burning down. He goes, that's not my house. That's God's house. And if God wants to take it away, he must have felt I was worrying too much about it. And so he took it from me. And he was a guy that understood these things are temporary. He didn't cling to them. See, the problem is when we cling to people or when we cling to things, we're highly disappointed when they're removed from our life, aren't we? And in fact, we do whatever we can to try to not have that happen, the way we protect and, and huddle around. And so even the way we treat our stuff, we treat it as if it's going to be here forever. And then when it falls apart, we're disappointed. I grew up in a family that took care of your car. At all costs. <laughs> and man, when you would ding up a car, oh, it was worse than spitting on them. <laughs> Who put the nick in the car? I, I'm sorry, I brushed up against it with my jeans. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little one. I know. And so all this time, and my dad's and my grandpa's hair, you didn't mess with their hair. <laughs> and so just for fun, when they'd sleep, I'd go grab like hair number five, you know, and I'd be like, kunk. <laughs> but we worry about pretty silly things. And uh, as you guys know, I'm kind of math and a chemistry geek. And so I was like reading about fog this week. <clears throat> And uh, I'm not going to do anything foggy. Everybody's like, oh, no, what's he going to do? Did you know that this cup, which is about 12 ounces, in this cup, there's enough water to create fog in seven city blocks 100 feet high? That's how much water is in that. And so I started thinking to myself, okay, self, 
water would it take to totally put Simi Valley in a fog 100 feet deep? And so this is what I found out. Twenty gallons. Twenty gallons of water can put Simi Valley in a fog a hundred feet deep. That's it. You ever thought about how small that is? And did you know that the water that's in this baptismal, I know you can't see it, but literally there's enough water in this baptismal to put the entire valley in a fog a hundred feet deep. That's just nuts to me. How could something so small cause such huge problems? And into this little conversation, I want to talk about worry. See, worry can come across as so small. It's like, oh, it's no big deal. I'm just worrying about my kids. You know, I just got problems with my children. It's just tiny, really. That's all it is. I just I stay up at late at night just worrying about them. But you know, once you start worrying, what happens? It builds and it builds and it builds. And I don't know how many of you are, but I'm one of these people that before I have a conversation, I've already walked through it like 50 times. Okay, if I go in and I'm going to talk to my wife and what she's going to say, she's going to say this. And after she says this, I'll come back and I'll tell her this. And then she'll come back with me on this one. And what I'll do then after that is I'll come back and I'll show her that really it's silly to even think that. And then she'll come back and she'll go, ha. Huh, and I'll go, no, nah, no. Nah. Actually, uh huh, this is what really is going on. And then finally it's like, and then I'll finish with this one and bam. And I'm like, I'll psych to come home, you know. I'm like, okay, woman, we're going to have it. It's gone. <laughs> and I come in and all she does is, hey, hon, how was your day? No. No, you're supposed to say this, woman. And then I say this, and then we go to this. It's this thing where we constantly are worried. And I would say we probably spend probably close to 80 to 90% of our time worrying instead of actually worrying about wrong things instead of worrying about what's most important. And Jesus says, look, when you worry about what people think and our possessions, he said the only thing that's going to happen to you because they're so fleeting is you're going to worry. And so what he's done is in this passage, and by the way, I'm just going to leave this faced out for you guys to admire. And then somebody else put this up here for me. And so, by the way, did I mention the Mets are in first place? So that's okay. We can worship later. But a lady came into my office and she said, man, I'm just so worried about my children. She goes, how do I not worry about my children? And so go with me to Psalm 139 before we get to Matthew 6. And I want to just read what I did with her. And I think this passage is a good one for parents to actually maybe wake up and read constantly over and over. And even spouses. I think we're afraid of losing our spouses. We're afraid of losing our kids. We're afraid of just losing things. And so we cling to them. But when we understand that my things are not my things and the people in my life are not mine to protect but they're God's, it helps us adjust our thinking. Go to Psalm 139. And what I had her do is I had her read through this and I had her put in her son's name. And watch this. Oh, Lord, you've searched my child and you know my child. You know when my kid sits down and you know when my kid rises up. You understand their thoughts from afar. You scrutinize their path and and their lying down. You're intimately acquainted with all their ways. Even before there's a word on my kid's tongue, before they say something stupid to me, behold, God, you know it. You've enclosed my kid behind and before. You've laid your hand upon them. 
Such knowledge is absolutely too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't understand it. I can't attain to it. Where can my kid go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your pre- from, or where could they flee from your presence? If they ascend to heaven, you're there. If they make their bed in Sheol, if they were to die, behold, you're there. If they were to take the wings of dawn, if they were to dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, your hand will lead them. Your right hand will lay a hold of them. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm them and the light around them will become night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. God, you formed my kids' inward parts. You wove them together in, in his mother's womb. I'll give thanks to you, for my kid is fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. His frame was not hidden from you. When my kid was made in secret, you skillfully put him together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen his unformed substance. And in your book are all written the days that were ordained for my child. That means you know when they were born, you know when they were going to die. When as yet there was not one of them. How precious are your thoughts towards my child, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When my kids awake, my kids still with you. See, the greatest thing in the world that we have, those of us that know God, is God knows intimately what's happening in every single person's life. God's not surprised. Not surprised in the least. And so when our kids go through difficult times, when they do something stupid, when we're wondering, oh my gosh, you know, here, put on your helmet, put on this other helmet, put on the elbow pads, put on the triple elbow pads. Hey, before you go outside, can I also put this, you know, chain mail suit on you? And then we send them out the door and they can't walk. Can I tell you something? If it's time for God to take them home, it's time. Now, I'm not saying you should be a bad parent and neglect your child. But what I am saying is, is nothing is going to happen to your kid that God doesn't know about. And Jesus is looking out at this group of people that's like, oh my gosh, Jesus, yeah, but I've let people kind of encroach on me. I'm afraid of people and, and I'm trying to protect my stuff and I'm nervous. And gosh, Jesus, if you ask me to walk in this way, I'm going to get nervous. You're going to like call me to go to South America. I can't. And Jesus goes, Interesting in verse 25, don't worry. Don't worry. Everybody's worried. And so into this, and Jesus brings some tools. Now, I have a toolbox. I don't know why I have a toolbox. But it's like tools. You know how, like, you inherit them? (laughs) And so I don't even know how they work. There's a few I understand in here. I understand this one really well. This is called a hammer. Um, it, all I really ever use it for is like to beat on things because uh, I'm one of those guys that uh, when I go to hit a nail, I really don't hit it. And uh, so that's what I know. Hammer, it uniquely, it beats on things. So I know that. These are channel locks. Uh, the only reason I know what these are is because uh, I learned how to do sprinkler systems and we use these a lot. Now there's one that's my favorite. <clears throat> which I don't have a clue what it does, but it's called a stud finder. <laughs> and so whenever my wife wonders, I just... <laughs> if anybody wants it, it works great. 
It's like, hey, baby. But all these tools in here are given, they have like a specific purpose to them. And see, because Jesus Christ knows we worry, he's going to give us these tools in here to help us with our worry. In fact, he doesn't just give us one. He like, he like unloads the toolbox. He knows worry is a huge thing. And so he's like, here's one, and 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 here's one. And he just keeps lavishing these tools upon us because he knows that the monster is not always the same, is it? And sometimes our worry is over here, it's in the past, it's like, oh, what did I do that for? I can't believe I did that, I'm so worried about it, blah, 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 Sometimes it's in the future, sometimes we don't have a clue where it's coming from. And into this world, Jesus brings these tools and he goes, let me give you some tools to walk you through this. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to unload what I believe Jesus gives are some just pretty big tools. They're just like, there's about seven of them. And so go with me to Matthew 6 and let me try to just unload these on you. And by the way, some of them, you're going to look at them. And you're going to be like, Todd, how in the world am I supposed to use this one? And to answer your question, sometimes I won't know. But have you ever noticed like all of a sudden you're digging through your toolbox and you're like, oh, cool, vice grips. And suddenly this just does the right thing. You had no clue what it did before. But when you grab it and it's like, oh, I can totally cinch down on something, Lisa, get the dog. You know what I mean? It's just like, jeez. I love my dog. I'm not, if there's anybody from PETA, please don't. <laughs> but I've been thinking about this in the sense that right now in our world, it's not fun, is it? I mean, everybody I talk to is like, oh my goodness, did you watch CNN? Did you know there's tragedy in the Middle East? Yeah, for 5,000 years. <laughs> yeah but there's bombs and rockets. It's like, have you read Revelation? It doesn't get any better. I mean, I wanted sometimes just to, you know, be the guy that calls up Larry King. Yo, Larry, uh, yeah, this is Todd from Simi, Simi Valley. You probably know about it. Yeah, so anyways, that Middle East thing, I was just calling to say uh, it's not going to get any better. Goodbye. <laughs> but yet we worry about it, don't we? I mean, people that come, there are people that come into my office that literally I look at them and I say, the best thing you can do is quit watching the news. Because what are we going to do? Hey, yeah, is this Shimon Perez? How you doing, man? So that whole conflict thing over there, I got some ideas. No, you're not. I think people watch it just to worry. Ever thought about that? I mean, seriously, what are we going to do? Absolutely nothing. You're not going to go over to Lebanon and find the Hezbollah guy and go, hey, man. Got this idea. What if you quit shooting rockets? And he'd be like, come here. <laughs> but we think somehow we can do something or we can't. See, God has the king's heart in his hand. Did you know tomorrow if God wanted to, he could stop it like that? But he doesn't. We live in a lost and a fallen world. And one of the best things I think any of us in this room can do is stop watching the news. In fact, when you read the paper, Instead of going right to the stock quotes, man, get on that front page and start praying. And when you get to the stock page, God caused the stock market to crash so that you can get your name out and be glorified. And I know there's people out there going, hey, whoa, man. <laughs> Could you tell me before you pray that so I can get my money out? <laughs> but have you ever noticed in some of the darkest times, that's when God moved big? When our nation was at its worst during the Great Depression, we had a revival like there was never before. 
After Black Monday, when people were committing suicide, what came from that was this amazing move of God where people started coming to Christ. When there were terrible pestilence and all the things going on in the 1700s, we had the Great Awakening. I mean, it's this thing in which when we look at the news, I don't look at it now to be scared. I actually look at it and go, okay, you're right. This world is groaning. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Get us out of here. And that's what he's going to talk about. Now, go to verse 25. Here's the first tool. For this reason, I say to you, and he puts out a command because it's actually sin to worry. Let me say this again. He puts out a command because it's actually sinful to worry. He says, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for the body as to what you will put on. And then here's the key sentence in this, in this next passage. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? See, sometimes Jesus says some things where we're like, what in the world is he talking about? But think about it this way. Food, water, and clothing. They're like the bare necessities of life, aren't they? In other words, we can't survive without, without food, water, and shelter. We, we can't. It's impossible. We eventually die. But then Jesus comes in and he says something unique. He says, but <clears throat> life is more than that. And what is he saying? He's saying this. He's saying your life is more than this life. See, this is almost, this is the like nuclear bomb of the tools that Jesus has because the greatest thing I have when I look at a believer in Jesus Christ is I can look at them and say, you know what? This life is so temporary. It's quick. It's called a vapor. It's, it's a shadow, the Bible calls it. But your life is forever. And in spite of what's going on in anybody's life, that's what makes this such this amazing tool is that when you die, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you spend an eternity in heaven with God. See, life, and that's what we're talking about with this resurrection concept, is that when I die, really I don't die. I die in this temporal sense, but when I go to heaven, I get a new body, I get a new earth, a new heavens, all these things that begin to happen to me. And Jesus says, it's more than just this life. There's something bigger and out there. And I think sometimes we forget how amazing that is, don't we? Like, I don't think about heaven enough. I get kind of just so consumed in, okay, wake up in the morning, put on my clothes, go to work. After I go to work, I sit and talk to people, blah, 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 type some emails, go through my thing, have lunch with a guy, pretend like I like him, just kidding. And then I go through my afternoon, you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah, sorry, hey, too bad about that. Here we go. I come home, kiss the wife, kiss the wife, turn on Sports Center, dun, 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 dun. And, and then it's just like, here's my life. And Jesus says, it's more than that. It's so much more than that. See, we can get so caught up in this mundane thing that we forget how just immense and beautiful and amazing it is that we get to team with the creator of the universe forever. It's not just about here. And Jesus comes in and he says, look, it's bigger than that. That's tool number one. Tool number two is this. Look down at verse 26. And this is the one, man, I just wish I was there the day Jesus preached on this. Because it's almost like he looks out and he just goes, would you look at the birds? I mean, it's almost like he's mocking us. Hey, smart guy, look at the idiot bird. What does that tell you about you? Look at the birds of the air. 
They don't sow. In other words, they don't go, they're not frantically trying to plant seed or, or gather it up and reap it into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? What's he saying? Let me put it this way. God cares for you more than birds. Now, let that sink in for a little while. Have you ever thought through this thing about a bird? How hard does a bird work? Well, they, they work hard. But here's a bird's life. Worm. I'll go get that worm. Gets the worm, pulls it up, takes it to his nets, feeds its birds. And then what does it do? Worm. Goes and gets the worm. Goes and feeds. I mean, it's just this, right? And if you think about it this way, it's a worm that's in the ground that eats this nutrients. After it eats the nutrients, suddenly I water my lawn, and up comes this worm to the surface. And the bird comes along and swoops it up. The bird eats the worm. Then the bird flies away. It lands in somebody else's yard. The cat eats the bird. The cat comes into my yard. I kick the cat, kill the cat. <laughs> and the worms eat the cat. And wow, we go again, right? It's the circle of life in my backyard. And we're convinced this just thing kind of happens. The circle of life. And we write cartoons about it, you know? Jesus says, I am the circle of life. I'm the one that says, worm, get to the surface. And the worm goes to the surface, and he says, I'm the one that says, bird, go eat your worm. In the book of Job 38, it says, God says to the, to the mountain lion, go get your prey. He says to the raven, go eat those little berries. And those berries didn't just miraculously appear, by the way. God said, berry, grow. And the raven goes down and gets it. Now, what's he mean by this? He means if God cares for birds, doesn't he love you more than birds? You ever thought you were the chief creation of God? In the book of Genesis, it says when God's creating everything, finally he gets to man and woman, he says this, he says this about it. It was very good. If God cares for something that doesn't have a soul, that doesn't have a spirit, all it has is just an existence to it, how much more does that mean us? See, sometimes I think we really forget that God cares. That's why in this passage it's interesting. Look what he calls him, Heavenly Father. See, he's heavenly and that he's all-powerful. It, it takes a lot, by the way, just in case you're wondering, to create a universe. You kind of have to be big. But then when he connects it to Father... That means he's a powerful daddy. I think so often when we go through problems, we're like David in the book of Psalm, or in Psalm 13. He says, God, how long? God, how long? Where are you? <sighs> and we go through problems and things happen and we wonder, God, do you care? Are you there? And the answer is yes, he does. And it's at those times that we cling to him like crazy. That's tool number two. Tool number three, look down with me at verse 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? I've always thought about this. It's kind of Jesus' way of saying, your life is like a bad country song. <laughs> right? Lost my house, lost my wife, lost my car, lost my kids, kicked my dog, and now I'm going to worry about it. Well, that's great. 
We compound the problem by worrying. In other words, all these bad things are happening, and then on top of it, we throw the cherry of worry, and Jesus is like, why? What are you going to change? Let me tell you something so amazing, okay? And even if you just need to kind of absorb this for a little while, if you need to leave and think through this, this is fine. My wife thought for about 10 years of our marriage that she could change me. She almost committed suicide, I think. She would do things like when I'd leave my underwear on the floor, she'd put it on the bed. What do guys do? We just sleep on it, you know? <laughs> I know what I'll do with his dirty plates. I'll <laughs> you can't change people. And guys, and I know your personal wife doesn't nag, but, I mean, maybe mine does, maybe. She's not in the room, so I can say that. And this doesn't leave this room, by the way. <laughs> you can't change your wife. You can't change your kids. You've ever noticed how much we worry about things that we can't change? And Jesus says, you're worrying about stuff that you can't change. You can't add an hour to your life. In fact, every time you worry, according to, according to medicine, you actually shrink your lifespan as you worry. Now, first of all, I don't believe that because in Psalm 139, it says God knows your days. You can't add a day to your life. You can't subtract a day. I can be in the worst place in the world. I could go to Iran right now, and if it's not my time to go, I can sit in the middle of it, and I can preach at whoever, whoever his name is. <laughs> and if God doesn't want me to die, I'm not going to die. But yet we worry about it, don't we? Man, I changed my uh, view on the workout plan of life. For a while, I was like, after seminary, I'm like, hey, I'm going to get back into shape. And trust me, I am, you know, and I'm lifting and working out a little bit. But it's almost like, dear Lord, for this grease for which I'm about to partake, to hurry along, me going to heaven, I thank you. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, amen. I mean, we primp and we prod and we do all these things to try to preserve our life. Why? Why do we do it? Now, I'm not saying working out is not a good thing because you don't want a bunch of fat slobs that are out there that are, you know, that are just being lazy. I mean, I do think one of the things about we've become such a sedentary lifestyle that we've portrayed to the world that somehow we don't need to watch out for gluttony and we don't need to watch out for certain things. But let me tell you something. You can't extend your life, all right? The Bible says you can't. And if God says you can't, I'm gonna lean on that. Next one. Verse 28, and why are you worried about clothing? This is one that I laugh about, and uh, my wife's not here, so I'm going to do it again. Like I said, if it leaves the room, I'm never going to say anything about my wife again. My wife has this thing about putting on clothes, and she'll come out, and she'll go, what do you think? I'll be like, dang, girl, you're hot. And then she'll go back in the room, and about five minutes later, she'll come out with something new on what do you think? Well, didn't I just say you were hot? Does it make me look fat? I'm not going there. She'll go back into her room, come out five minutes later. What do you think? I don't know what to think anymore. You go in, there's like clothes stacked on the bed. And Jesus says, why are you worried about clothing? See, the reason that we choose the clothing we choose, here's the beauty of this. I could care less what I wear, and I have a wife to worry about. She dresses me every day. If I come out with something on, she looks at me like, <laughs> what, what? 
plaid and stripes go together. What's your problem? So it's a black sock and a white sock. Who cares? I should probably care. But we worry about the dumbest stuff. He's kind of getting to that. It's like, why are you worried about what you're going to wear? I mean, that's not the issue. And then he goes on, he says this, Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. They're little puffballs that sit out in the field, and they look beautiful. Yet I say that to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. At Solomon was the king of the, of the time that literally when Israel was at its highest point, he was king. So what Jesus is saying, even the greatest guy that you've ever known in your kingdom, when he was at his highest point, even not Solomon looks like one of these amazing little flowers out here. And then he goes on to say this. But if God clothes grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? See, every year in Israel, this grass would spring up and it would look all beautiful. It's kind of like Simi Valley. You know how the spring, you're just like, ah, oh, so beautiful. And then you get to August and it's like, ah, oh, so brown. <laughs> they would gather all this grass together. That's how they would fuel the furnace. And Jesus is looking at him and saying, look, if I make flowers look like that, that are here today and gone tomorrow, do you not think I'm not going to give you something to wear? And really, to be honest with you, I came into this world with nothing, and I what? Return with nothing. See, underneath that suit is just a naked guy. That's it. Same way he came in is how he went out. And Jesus says, look, I'll take care of you. Don't worry. And if you wear plaids and polka dots, cool. At least you're not going to die. I will take care of you. He goes on and says this. <clears throat> Verse 31. So don't worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing for the Gentiles? In other words, that word is Gentile. Actually, the non-believers eagerly seek and worry about all these things. And look how he puts this. For your heavenly, powerful father, daddy, knows. It's this Greek word oida, meaning he knows the facts about everything going on. He knows what you need and that you need all these things. See, sometimes I think we look at God and go, God, I don't think you understand what's going on right now. And God goes, I know you better than you know yourself. I know what you need and what you don't need. I know what you can handle and what you can't handle. I know. That's the cool thing about that word. I know. And I think that he's, what he's doing is connecting it to this idea of a Gentile or the unbelievers because of this. Gentiles, unbelievers, people that don't know Jesus Christ, they should be worried. Why do I say that? Let me tell you this cool story, all right? I love story time. This is a true story, though. 2,000 years ago, into this world, entered this person, Jesus Christ. He was all man, and he was all God. He had to be, because he was gonna die upon a cross, and he had to be man to die, and he had to be God, because he had to be perfect. And he came and he lived this perfect life in front of everybody and taught everyone how they should live. And he created this little merry band of followers that would then go on, which all of you sitting here today are the byproduct of these little merry band of followers that went out. And after three years of ministry, his heavenly father took him 
and hung him on a tree because our sins were so great. He realized that we couldn't earn our way to God because our sin, our crime against God was so great that we could never pay it. And so he put his son upon that cross to pay the penalty for our sins if we place our faith in him. But you know what's cool? Is when Jesus died and they put him in the tomb, guess what? He didn't stay there. He rose again. And those that know him, that have placed their faith in him, can I tell you something really, really cool? This is awesome. You won't stay in the grave either. Now, I know we've gotten bored with that story, but if you ever stop and think about it, we've banked our entire existence upon it. And when we get to the end of it, Christians of anybody should be the least poopy people in the world. Amen? We're like, oh, who's going to be the next Supreme Court justice? (sighs) (sighs) Heaven forbid if an independent becomes president (sighs) or even a Democrat. (sighs) God will have fallen off his throne at that point. See, the thing we forget is we wake up in the morning and the first thought that should go through our head is, oh my goodness, I get to spend eternity with the creator of the universe. You walk out, you have your bratty little kids that are being spoiled in the morning. You look at them and go, kids, guess what? I'm going to heaven. Ha! Your wife is like, you didn't pick up your underwear last night. Yeah, but I'm going to heaven, huh? Get on the freeway. The guy flips you off. Hey, I'm going to heaven. Have a nice day, too. You're number one, too. <laughs> Go to work. Boop, 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 boop. You know, compute, out, computations are wrong. You got the moron in the next cubicle that's totally. <laughs> you got the guy that comes in and complains about the work you've done. Yeah, but did you know I'm going to heaven? It's almost like that. Yeah, but I stayed at Holiday Inn last night or wherever it was. Get home, eat my dinner. It was burnt. But I'm going to heaven. Your wife and you have a little spat and you end it by hugging her and saying, hey, but we're going to heaven. See, of any people that should wake up with a smile on their face, it's us. We could be in the worst situation possible, which, trust me, there are Christians around the world today that are in dire, dire straits, and yet did you know that some of those people are the happiest, most joyful people on this planet? In Acts 4, when the worst things are happening to the church, you know how they prayed? They prayed, God, bring more persecution if it brings you glory. We will joyfully pursue it. Why? Because they know this life is temporary. I mean, I almost want to, like, look at everybody and shake everybody and go, don't you get it? Smile, man. We get to go to heaven. And Jesus says, so quit worrying. If all else fails and you die today, don't worry. I got you. I'll keep going. Look at, the very, look at verse 34. I know I skipped a verse, but look at verse 34. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. 
And then this sentence at the very end of it, because each day proportionally is the word has enough trouble of its own. You know what's so cool about how God brings us our trouble? He's planned your trouble just strategically every day so that you can handle it. Our problem is, though, is we, we bring our past and lump it on today, and we bring our future and lump it on today, and Jesus is like, what are you doing? See, I strategically planned your trouble out so that you didn't have to do that. So why in the world are you lumping everything on the one day? In 1 Corinthians 10, it's so interesting, Jesus cried, Paul is talking, he said, look, there's no temptation which is overcoming you, what? Whereby which there's not this means of escape each and every point. See, Jesus Christ knows what you can handle. You know how cool that is? That means he is never, ever going to put you to the point where you will neglect or deny your faith. You might struggle, you might strain, you might get pushed to the max of it, but ultimately James 1 says, consider it. All joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. And let this perseverance have its work. See, the thing about this perseverance is, and I love going to the gym, because there's these big guys with these huge upper bodies, right, you know, that walk around, that stand and look in the mirror. And then they do the uh, whole beach curl thing, you know. Oh, yeah, the bathroom's over here. And then they take off their sweats, and it's itty bitty legs. <laughs> See, the thing about trials is it works out that part of you that needs it the most. See, all of us can look good in certain areas, can't we? Man, you put me in certain situations, and I look almost as close to the Apostle Paul as anybody. But you put me in other situations, man, and I look almost like Judas. Because God brings these strategic troubles into our life to grow us, to make us stronger. And so in other words, when troubles come in, that's why James says, consider it joy. Why? In the same way that finally, you know, if you work your legs out all the time and suddenly it's like, oh, I better do some upper body. Are you going to hurt? Oh, yes. But the more you do it, what starts to happen? I get stronger and I don't hurt because Jesus knows what you need. I mean, think about that. That means today, whatever comes your way, did you know the only reason it's going to come your way is because Jesus knows you can handle it. Job, God knew exactly what, what Job could handle. And he didn't bring him more than he could handle. And if you've ever noticed, right before it seems like Job's about ready to crack, what does God do? Job, I'm here. It's all right. And he tells him these little stories about how I'm in control and Job, all he can say at the end is he's like, God, I put my hand over my mouth. Verse 33. This is like the utility tool. This is like the pliers of this whole list. It kind of works for everything. If all else fails and you're not sure what to do, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If you don't know what to do, do the right thing. If you're not sure how to handle a situation, do the right thing. Now, what do I mean by that? See, all of us are worried about tomorrow and the past so often that today we're not making the right decisions. What's your job today? I'm going to take all the pressure off of you. Ready for this? You have one job in life. That's it. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's your only job. That means when your alarm goes off, uh, 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 I hit the alarm to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. 
I shave because it's about his kingdom and his righteousness. I kiss my wife on the way out the the door because it's for his kingdom and his righteousness. I get in my car and I drive to work because it's for his kingdom and his righteousness. I go to work not because my boss, that's for sure, he's a moron that I can't handle, but I'm here for his kingdom and his righteousness. I talk to the moron on the cubicle next to me because it's for his kingdom and his righteousness. I eat my lunch because I need to refuel for his kingdom and his righteousness. I go home and I hug my kids because it's his kingdom and his righteousness. I sleep at night because it's his kingdom and his righteousness. And Jesus says, you do that. You do that, and I got the rest. Isn't that cool? You do that. You seek me. You find me. You come after me. You pursue my kingdom and my righteousness. I've got the rest. I'll tell you what, in a world that is so stressed out, what a better message. We can walk up to people that are stressed out and say, hey, friend, those wrinkles on your forehead sure are ugly. Got an incredible message for you about your sin. And those of us in this room, I don't know if you're somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And I'm not saying come to Jesus because it'll make your life stress-free. In fact, Stress level goes up (laughs) in some ways, but it's amazing because then God gives us what we need to handle it. But if you're somebody that doesn't know this amazing story about fall, I want to talk to you after this. I want to share with you how you can know this heavenly father that loves you, that wants to have a relationship with you. And then, can I just say it to all the rest of us? This week, could we not be poopy? And there's guys in this room, and sometimes guys have to hear it twice. Like in the Bible, God would say, Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Moses, Elijah, Elijah. He would always say it twice. So for the guys in this room, could we not be poopy this week? Could we honestly live like we believe we're going to heaven? I mean, can you imagine if just this week, okay, I don't want to stress you out. If honestly we took every day, every time that stupid alarm went off, we just said, oh, I'm going to heaven. And we hugged our wife and our kids like we're going to heaven. And we treated people like we're going to heaven. And we spent money like we're going to heaven. And we did all these things. See, this is the release valve of everything I've been talking about. I know what I've been talking about has been hard. And it's like, whoa, Todd, back off. But God is never going to ask you to do something that you can't handle. And so quit worrying. 